Hello and welcome aboard our podcast, Fighting Catholic Jetlag. My name is JC and I'll be your host. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, priest of 34 years and doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president and for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. At times, we'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and rediscover your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, and enjoy our flight to faith. Oh, this meeting is being recorded. Okay, folks, welcome to um, My Catholic Jet Lag, or Fighting Catholic Jet Lag. Lag. Um, And uh, we're doing this remotely. Um, Today, we have a special guest, in addition to Rebecca, our producer, and of course, my uh, fantastic uh, co-host, JC. Uh, We have a guest visitor today who hasn't been around as much um and lauren mccrary is here welcome lauren Yay. so Thank anyway you. well let me i don't have a speech prepared but i'll say something small <laughs> no, I'm kidding. oh okay uh, you're welcome to uh no i just i don't want to be a guest i'm still part of it just not as you're still part of it absolutely okay. She does not identify um, as a guest. You exactly. can identify as whatever you want. <laughs> That's right. You yeah. can identify. I go back to your role of producer and person who keeps us in line. We haven't I been in line much since you've not been as participating. I mean, we've been saying things left and right that we shouldn't say. So uh, many things. JC has dropped several so many. bombs. That have gotten her in trouble with her mom over the last Reagan. since you haven't been part of this because you used to. I know we blame you. We need, <laughs> we need our PR girl back to be like. <laughs> you all have done just exceedingly well. Well, oh. if for those of you who um, uh, follow you us regularly, uh, last week we gave you a segment of our live uh, event the pub on the second um and uh lauren is present there as well along with the what is hallie doing what is hallie doing i heard the beep beep of the mailman and i'm like i looked at her like don't even don't even think about it and she's back we're all on a zoom call because i'm florida on brescia and a higher ed business and so we're all on a zoom call right now recording this and where is she hallie oh there's, there's oh there she is oh, hey, hallie. Hallie. what you doing girl just sniffing just huh? sniffing come here do you want to be on the show she just sniffs all the time oh <laughs> uh, like so, she is such on. a sniffer well that's what they Isn't do that normal <laughs> Ben will go up and just like sniff her and it really throws her off. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a good girl. Hey, y'all, I've started a new, Hallie and I have started a new show. Um, have you all watched Veep? 
Um, yes. It's like my favorite show. So good. I just Gary in his handbag. Oh my god. They said, get your bee bag, Gary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I started it like a few days ago. I'm on season three already. And <laughs> cracking up because her boyfriend who is um, a personal trainer. Yeah, detective Stabler. Yes, it's the vice president, Father Larry, and he's, and she's dating, uh, and she's dating like this personal trainer and they're at like a summit. And he's like, yeah, I'm I'm a personal trainer. And they're like, and he's like, and also a published writer. And the (laughs) man's like, oh, do I know any of your works? And he's like, 30 days to a better body. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I think that show has some of the best writing ever. It is so, it is so funny. And okay, so I've started watching, Ben and I've started watching Seinfeld. It's the first time I've ever seen Seinfeld. And I'm like, we should watch Julia Louis-Dreyfus's other show. And she does, she is such a funny woman. I know. Yeah. Disclaimer, there's a lot of F-bombs in it, but it's a really Mm -hmm. good show. Yeah, Speaking like, like um, Rebecca, did you do the third scrutinies this past Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how were those? Did did you pass or whatever it is that? I think so. <laughs> they let me continue. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah. good. We just we just spoke about the gospels that were read on those days. But yeah, so we went through, and the first one was the woman at the well. The it was read during mass and then we went downstairs after the homily and discussed everything and then we questions as well sent to us beforehand so we had time to think about it and then the second one was the blind man with the clay we discussed about a uh, spiritual blindness then and things like that 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 would represent oh, and then good. yeah and then this last week was about Lazarus in the cave I feel like it was good but then last night we did our first uh, sacrament of reconciliation. You did? Mm-hmm. Tell us everything. Just kidding. Well, I, too much because you're supposed to keep that secret. But yep. you technically did not have to do it, right? Because you're being baptized. We wanted to do it for practice purposes. Yeah. He wanted us to do it together in that environment so then we could feel like we've we're good going into it afterwards um but uh it was really good actually and I'm so glad that we did all the prep work that we did and asked all the questions throughout our journey um because I felt really comfortable going in there then and one thing that stood out to me most of all uh, when we're going through the confession side of things um it was more like when, you know, like they say, oh, and is there anything else? So not to dig, but just to say, are we good to finish? It's more like that, not digging. Right. Um, and then I was kind of just sat there thinking, like, is there anything else? And I said, I don't know. I, well, I guess and I was starting to think about all of the little things that it could be that I, I may need to confess. But then he said, anything else weighing on you? And I thought, that's what it is. So maybe I was. That's a game changer. Yes. 
maybe yeah. I was rude or maybe I was ignorant and that doesn't weigh on me and I didn't realize I, I don't know so do I need to confess that if I've already moved on from that but what I did confess was something that was something that was bothering me that's what that was for he says mm. some people come in with an itemized list and maybe that's how they want to do it he says but I care about what's bothering you and what's blocking that relationship and that's all we need to discuss so I was like huh that was interesting and then I also found it interesting wasn't a discussion like I thought it would be it wasn't like I said something and then they were like tell me more this is what I would have done or you should have done this there was none of that it was just not counseling yeah it was it was great it's like he just lifted something off me and took it away and that was that there was no question how much it weighs what is like there was none of that it was just let's take this and move it and I think that was something that I didn't expect I thought there would be a little bit more of a discussion over it or more details or anything but it wasn't and so it was really nice and I, I enjoyed it and I actually said I feel like I could just go in there every week now and maybe I'll take coffee and we'll just have a chat <laughs> oh, that's awesome people yeah, get that's, so cool. that's you know that's the best approach I think is when it's not something that is burdensome but it's something where you can you know if there's something that's weighing on you you can get rid of it and mm-hmm. it's gone yeah I always think of it as our sins are like a drop of water that's dropped into an ocean. You will never recover that drop of water again. And the ocean is God's mercy. And it, it's there and it's part of God's mercy, but it never can be recovered. It's, it's basically been absorbed by, by everything else. And, and uh, so, yeah, I think that's great that they offered you that kind of positive uh, experience. That's really cool, Rebecca. Definitely. And one another thing as well that I... I've, thought was good is when we went in there I did say oh I've got something else to ask you as well when he said is there anything else I said well it's not confession related but it is just a question and then he said okay let's finish the confession let's close that off because I I don't revisit any of this whereas the conversation that you want to have we can discuss that outside if that's what you want so let's close off this side so then there's no blurring of lines and then let's talk about what you want so I was like huh I really like that so Father John Thomas handled it very well and we all had a great time um and it was it was beautiful and Karina Mm -hmm. yeah she sang um some gospel music with her guitar when we were all in there waiting to go in and that was really beautiful as well that's awesome cool so we have a topic for uh did we have a clarificational? We did. We were recording with that clarificational earlier, JC. Do we need to record that clarificational? What was? I can't even remember what it was. The clarificational was over. Um, oh yeah, yeah, for Will yeah. Smith, I believe, and Tiffany Haddish. Of course, that that's old news by now, and we as society should move on because who cares what Hollywood people do? Exactly. Well, I mean, important thing is that we don't act that way. Oh, right. Have you ever, though? Have I ever what? Well, what was the first thing I asked you when I when I'm like, are we, you know, are we going to talk about it at our live event? And then what did I ask you? I don't remember. 
I said, have you ever punched anyone, Father Larry? When I was a kid, uh, little boys getting into fights was not necessarily discouraged. You know, if, if somebody was picking on you, the most common thing people were said, well, defend yourself. Right, of course. And so you definitely... And I wouldn't condone that. I don't think children are raised that way today. And that's pro- it's a good evolution, I think. But anyway, like I said, we don't behave like Hollywood people, um, nor should we. Uh, but I do think there is a tendency that we have to violence and we have to work hard sometimes, depending on who you are, uh, to suppress that. Uh, look at St. Peter when they were taking Jesus away. His first inclination was to pull out his sword and uh, to fight the soldiers who were arresting Jesus. And Jesus told him to put away his sword. Do you do you want to tell Peter them? Cut off, Peter cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. But what about your your former life as a boxer? Did you want to tell them about that? Or was that more set oh, that was middle Wait, school hello. boxing club? He was in boxing club and he's going to teach me and I'm going to be a million dollar baby. Is that the first rule? You're not supposed to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Father Larry. Yes. Wow. You guys uh, are really good at jokes together. Huh? You all are like brilliant together with your jokes. Well, Aaron is pretty funny. Oh, pretty don't funny. even start. Or no, pretty don't even start. Eric don't, even says it. Don't patronize me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you are. Look at me laughing. <laughs> yeah, you look like that's a fake laugh. I think that you do not value my type of humor. Let me put it this way I don't always get it. So it's on me. To, okay, what's to get? Can well, you tell us maybe one of the worst and jokes now, that he a thinks said? I, he thinks I tell uh, cheesy jokes, which I appreciate a cheesy joke, but I'm talking about more just day-to-day interactions. I'm funny. So my first, the first encounter with Lauren's... Uh, no, and you're going to make it sound like this is my total humor. No, but it's cheesy and you just brought up cheese. <laughs> you just brought up cheese. <laughs> I like this joke. <laughs> You had some Gouda cheese with you, and you offered me some. And you say, would you like some Gouda cheese? It's Gouda. It's good. It's Gouda? How do you say <laughs> See, it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know who eats Gouda cheese without saying it's really good. I don't know. <laughs> it says more about you. It says more, yeah, so... Well, I admit that. It does say more about me. I will be the first to admit it. And like I said, that's I didn't get it at first. I was like, what what does that mean? It's Gouda. It's Gouda? Gouda? And, and now Father that Larry. I understand it, I think it's funny. So it's not Lauren. It's me. It's my... Uh, so have you ever tried to retell one of Lauren's jokes that you heard and then it didn't land and you're like, damn it. 
Like, do you think that there's like an insecurity? Like she can get away with telling a joke about cheese, but you're like, that would never work for me. Like, is it that? We should try that, Lauren, sometime. I'm going to get some good. And the first person that comes to the office, I'm going to offer it to them. And I'm going to say, it's really good. Gouda. Gouda. <laughs> it's really good. It is it. So anyway, you'll have to teach me. <laughs> Falls flat. Well, no, it's me, definitely. It's the delivery. It's the delivery. Yeah. I don't, but also people, I don't know if they would know that they can laugh. And they would be like, oh, that was a, you meant that as a joke. Because you have the German (laughs) approach to humor, Father Larry. Yeah. Well, I think Lauren gets it honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is true. I have a funny family. Yeah, I think your dad's funny like you are funny. <laughs> but Father Larry, as a as um not having always lived here, like you are you're still learning how to be like I I am a cultural um I'm culturally naive, yes. So you're but you're learning and we're here to teach you like our humor, which we're happy to do. Um, but that's okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 I'll accept that. Okay. Or just any humor. Or ju- yeah. <laughs> well, do you all get? I'm uh, just kidding. All the time, but this <laughs> sometimes hard for Americans. What's hard for Americans? British humor. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I mean. There like are Mon- things that I'm like, that was really rude. Mean. <laughs> but Rebecca really gets your humor, Father Larry. Like, really gets it. And then if there are times that I'm like, I may have said something offensive. And she's like, oh, that, he would have thought it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes Father Larry can say something offensive. And I'm like, no, it's a joke. Like, <laughs> funny. It's like that episode of Veep where she meets the Swedish prime minister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Father Larry, watch Veep. I won't, I haven't, <laughs> but I've seen some of the episodes, but I've not seen that one. That is it's, funny. That, it's that... great. It has a, a, a female comedian and she's vice president and it's just so it might be too much of like female empowerment things. I don't know, but you know, give it a try if you'd like. Why do you think I'm such a chauvinist? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those, one of those things. I stopped watching Veep because I thought it was unrealistic and that no women. Oh, I'd... because of a female and she's a vice. You're right. That's why I didn't think you'd like it. That no no, you're not. You didn't finish hearing what I'm saying. That I know of no woman that would be that foolish in that important of an office. Oh, really? Because I know lots of them. Well, <laughs> I, only, I only hang around brilliant women. Keep going. He's got a point. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, so for the topic today, uh, 
purposely did zero research and Rebecca was kind enough to even send me a video and I was going to watch it. And then I thought, I think it would be best if I go into the shroud blindly. So I'm here to listen and ask a lot of obnoxious questions. Yeah. So Rebecca brought up the topic of the shroud of Turin. And this is part of a long tradition in Catholicism of relics associated with Jesus, and some of them are more dramatic than others. Um, So you have, um, as a lot of them are from the Middle Ages, and they're clearly forgeries. We've talked about even um, the the veil of Veronica, you know, she wiped the face of Jesus with her veil when he was on the way to the cross, and supposedly that left an imprint of his face on her veil. We've got, you know, a, a head of John the Baptist, a head of uh, St. Paul. Um, and we've got these things associated with Jesus, including his seamless garment. Is it, I can't remember where you can go to venerate that. Um, but, you know, legend has it that the garment that Jesus wore didn't have any seams. It was a miraculous garment. Um I remember one time seeing a piece of the veil of the veil of Mary. Um, you can go to Europe and in the Middle Ages, they kind of went a, a little overboard with a lot of these things. You would find a piece of the feather of the angel, uh, angel Gabriel. You would find somebody had saved some of Mary's milk that would have been used to feed Jesus. That was venerated in some places. Even the foreskin of Christ was venerated uh, in the Middle Ages. Jesus' favorite. Well, but it, I mean, ah. it's, a, it's a historical fact that it was venerated. So, I, I mean, I know J, uh, JC doesn't like that. And it's probably for modern people, it's the, the idea of it, especially for Americans, is kind of horrifying. And it should be because why would we? do that. But they did in the Middle Ages. It's a historical fact that they did. And so the shroud is So that was common practice to say, like, because hearing this, I'm like, so we we really think that they didn't just take anyone's circumcision and they're like, we can make money off of this. Because a lot of the things from the Middle Ages are clearly forgeries. I mean, and the church has admitted that that some of these relics and things that people found and were attracted to and holy uh, were, were clearly forgeries. They were attempts by someone to get people to come and spend money in the local community uh, because it, that's what the attraction was. It wasn't a Disney world or anything like that. Or they had a piece of the angel, a wing of the angel Gabriel, you know, and so people wanted to see that. So that would be beneficial for a local economy. So some of that was, some of it was forgery. Some of it, some relics are truly associated with the holy people or holy events that they represent. And I think it's important for the church to identify what might be a forgery or what might not be for our credibility. I mean, we, you know, we don't want somebody to, you know, take a chicken bone and then claim it's a bone of, of St. Peter or St. Thomas. But, you know, people's religious imagination is often something that's stimulated in ways that 
we will run after things that clearly aren't that important religiously. I mean, just look at a few years ago. Remember when people would find the face of Christ on a piece of toast? Do y'all remember that? Yeah. Never forget it. And everybody would be, you know, or somebody would see Mary in a cloud and, you know, take a picture and then everybody would, would be fascinated with that. I think it's just part of our human nature that we get fascinated with things like that. But I do also think it's important to separate those things that are clearly not real, that are just part of the imagination, and and identify that so that we don't lose credibility uh, with folks who say, my gosh, you know, these Catholics just like to make stuff up. Well, okay, my first initial thoughts on that also is... But is it really hurting anyone if there is something that makes us think of Christ and think of what he went through, like a shroud, and we pilgrimage to it to not honor the piece of fabric, but to meditate and and to just feel the Holy Spirit in a sacred space? Is there anything that wrong with that? regardless of the authenticity? No, I think you bring up a really good point. And Mm -hmm. it's actually, we're going to get to, I think, when we talk about the shroud. Um, Because, spoiler alert, the shroud is more than likely a 12th or 13th century creation and not the actual shroud of Jesus. But I'll get back to that in a moment. I think you're right. That sometimes things can inspire what? us. What? Huh? What'd you say? I said I think you're right. Yeah, we are recording, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> now don't y'all act like I paused. He's like I paused. He's like, I I paused. I'll do it and I'll just keep playing it. That'll be the whole episode. You're yeah, right. That'll be you're our right. new you're right. <laughs> Y'all don't y'all don't act like that's the first time I've ever said that. Oh. We're just busting you. Yeah. It just always feels good to be told you're right. If I ever say it to you, I promise we will make sure that if, it's extra recorded. If, if you ever say it. If I ever say it, I promise we'll make a big deal out of it. Uh, I'll heard it. <laughs> you heard it here first. Anytime my husband says the once a year my husband says it, I make sure we go back and revisit it too. It's not just you. This isn't a Father Larry issue. This is like a all men in my life issue. So anyway, go on. Um, I think you're right in that. Yes, there are reasons sometimes why uh, something that may not be historically a fact can still inspire us to the reality that it represents. Heck yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's lots, the, the sacred scriptures even don't necessarily tell us about a historical event in the life of Jesus, but they inspire us to an actual event in the life of Jesus. So, yeah. it, it, but I do think we need to weed out those things that are clearly um things that don't make any sense like the wing of the angel gabriel um you know 
I, I, other things, I think, you know, in medieval times, I think there's something very human about thinking you're venerating the milk of Mary. I mean, that highlights the fact that Mary was fully human as a woman and the child Jesus, although Christ and God was also fully human and had to be nourished. Like okay, all that's pretty cool to think about. You know, you put it like that. Um, and it's the same thing with the medieval veneration of the foreskin of Christ. It highlights the humanity of Jesus. All Jewish male babies had to be circumcised. It was part of a religious ritual. Highlights the Jewishness of Jesus, and it highlights his humanity. Okay. So, Here's, even though, here's what I like about though, you, Father Larry. I have to say this. I doubt, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% sure that anything that claims to actually be the milk of Mary is not the milk of Mary. But as a symbol, it can direct us to a deeper veneration of Mary as mother and as the mother of Jesus. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. I can't remember. Oh. They, I had to keep I on right. Like Father Larry. I know I can't remember what that was now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I like that you are not forgetting what the important part of all of it is. And that is like, what is that highlighting? Like, are we really in an argument over if the milk is real or if the shroud is real? But look into the deeper meaning which is it shows it it paints like a truer realness for what happened that it was real like that's the important part to remember right you're absolutely right there it is again (laughs) (laughs) all right that's that wasn't right it's you're absolutely right I pretty much just took your words and reset them back to you and you gave me credit just for claim it. it. Claim it. Claim it. Thank claim you it. so much. That was that's very appreciated. Wow. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> You're in that we get bogged down on whether this is actually truly the shroud of Jesus. The well, why do you think people do get so bogged down with it? And how well, can we kind of just ease up on just picking it apart and find and how do we find the good in it, I guess? Right. And that's what we need to do. But some pe- for some people, I think it depends on your personality. Uh, some people yeah. like the idea of having a world where everything is clear and it's either true or it's not true. And some people are perfectly comfortable with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. And I think for our Catholics out there listening, I think it's okay to say to them, it's okay to be that we don't have everything locked down, black and white, with clear borders on things. That when it, especially when it comes to mystery and faith, sometimes the lines between what's true and what is maybe a little bit of fiction, what's inspiring. Mm-hmm. Those lines are a little blurred, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. So the Shroud of Turin. What do you know about it, Rebecca? This was one of your questions. 
So we we were talking about it when we were talking about the crucifix, uh, crucifixion of Jesus. And we were looking at the wounds because on there you can see um, there are blood stains of where his hands would be and his feet would be. And then we were talking about how they would come about. And then there was doubt maybe there. So there was some debate over there. We also were talking about his face. Now, Jesus was not meant to stand out. He was he was meant to blend in. He was a typical Jewish guy. He wasn't extra handsome or even though we, we see now he, he looks like that in shows and pictures and everything. But he was just meant to blend. And when you look at the typical attributes that a Jewish man would have during that time, they would be between 5'7 and 5'9. They would have more of a rounded face, like a thicker brow. And there was certain parts of a Jewish man that when you look at the shroud and Jesus's face and his face is slimmer, his nose is slimmer. So there was doubt there maybe as well. I don't know. That was the first time though that I've ever seen or heard anything about it so oh, really i was intrigued yeah so it, we don't know much about it prior to the 1300s when when, when there's some records about it um, it's currently in the city of turin in northern italy at their cathedral uh, they open up the box every now and then so people can come and look at it uh, apparently the the shroud was the property of the Byzantine emperors before 1200. And then, of course, Byzantium was sacked by the West, was conquered by the West, and they took a lot of their relics to the West. But there's not a whole lot of information about it. There is, in the 1300s, a bishop wrote the Pope. um, It was actually the anti-Pope Clement VII, and saying that the image they had of a shroud was a forgery and that the artist had confessed to painting it himself. Uh, We're not 100% sure if that's the same shroud because there are multiple shrouds in Europe um, or things that claim to be part of the burial cloths of Jesus. This is the one that is the most famous. And one of the reasons why this was the most famous is in the late 1800s, somebody had permission to take a photograph of it. And so if you've ever seen the a negative image of it, you can see, here, I'll show you. So, so on, this, on my screen, the image on the left is what it looks like. So you can see, you know, the outline of a face and it's the whole body. The actual shroud is the whole body. And then they took a picture of it and they developed the negative, and the negative popped out uh, so much more clearly. And so the negative is on the right of the same image on the left. And um, and so, you know, there you see clearly a man with a beard, long hair, looks like blood stains. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody maybe has some swollen eye sockets and other things. Uh, and that's what they were uh, wondering about because what amazed them was because it was so clear once they once they did that. Uh, one of the things as well was his height. The sh- I think this says he could be up to 
6'2 or something like that. But again, going back to those days and a typical Jewish man, Jesus would have only been between 5'7 and 5'9. Well, one of the criticisms, so there's a lot of things that point to Jesus here. Uh, mm -hmm. If you look, I'll open up that image that Rebecca showed, uh, sent you. Um, this is the negative of the the, the 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 real cloth is very pale yellow and you can kind of see an outline of Jesus, but it's a naked man. And you can see on his back, he's got lots of uh, marks of where this man had been whipped. Mm -hmm. uh, his right foot is bent inward as if it had been twisted, like in a mm -hmm. nailing posture. The wrists have... Um, the wrist uh, have the wounds um, there. Uh, and so a lot of things of this point to uh, a man who died similar to Jesus. And what's interesting is when you hear the popes refer to the shroud, they will always refer to it as an icon of a man crucified. Mm. So a man crucified who points us to Jesus. And that's kind of that what you were saying earlier, JC, that even though it may or may not be actually Jesus, it points us to Jesus. And so people started speculating when they saw this and they said, well, this must have been the shroud because it's a long cloth that, G that they would have laid Jesus on and then they would have flipped it over and covered his body with it. And that at the moment of the resurrection, there was so much radiant light that it burned this image on to the shroud. That, that was, was the theory. Um, and so lots of people got excited about this. And if you'll notice these square or these triangles, uh, those are uh, where the cloth was repaired because it was in a fire. When it was in France for a while, mm. it was in a fire and the lead from the container, it was folded up in this container and the lead from the container melted and dropped on the cloth and burned the cloth. So those are places where it was repaired. So it's different cloth than- You would uh, think if you had the shroud of Jesus, you would take better care of it. Well, yes, um, but you know, now this, has inspired lots of people. Popes have been to visit it and have venerated it. Um, there have been lots of attempts to study it and they actually did some DNA tests on things. They found DNA from all sorts of humans from all sorts of parts of the world. Basically that just indicates that lots of people have touched it different places. Um, they found some insect DNA, that kind of thing. But the, the way the popes always referred to it, so Pius XII called it a holy thing like nothing else. John Paul II called the shroud a distinguished relic and a mirror of the gospel. Pope Benedict called it an icon written with the blood of a whipped man crowned with thorns, crucified and pierced on his right side. And Pope Francis referred to it as an icon of a man scourged and crucified. So notice none of them referred to it as Jesus. Because once they started doing some scientific analysis, and this is where I, the spoiler that I gave earlier, is the, the big test came out in 1988 when the University of Oxford was allowed to do some uh, radiocarbon dating on it. 
And they determined that it was not any earlier than 1260, maybe as late as 1390. And even with some people then presented all sorts of hypotheses that would refute that. Like some people said that it was the repair part that was carbon dated and not the actual shroud, uh, that there, that was biocontaminated. Um, and there was something called a carbon monoxide hypothesis, which I'm not hypothesis, which I'm not sure what that is. They've all been refuted scientifically. And then, from a historical point of view, this shroud is a herringbone weave. Shrouds at the time of Jesus were not uh, woven in a herringbone fashion. Mm. Uh, so they they have a tomb of a Jewish high priest who was a member of the aristocracy. And so you would think they would have the best cloth there is. Uh, and his shroud is just a simple two-way weave. Uh, and not the complex herringbone twill of the, the Turin Shroud. Uh, and then there are other things as well. What people can't figure out, though, is how it was created. That however it was created, nobody's been able to reproduce that. There have been attempts made, but they've all, all fallen short. Well, that's cool. So I would think it in all likelihood, is a 13th or 14th century creation. But here's how I look at it. It still helps us understand the crucifixion of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Who's to say that whoever it was that created it, the artist, didn't do so inspired by the Spirit, as JC said earlier, inspired by the Spirit to uh, create something that would inspire people and would strengthen their faith. Not as yes. a forgery, not as a lie, but as a work of art. I mean, you all have images of Mary and Jesus in your home, crucifixions. You're not Beautiful. saying, you know, you're not saying that's exactly what Mary looked like. It's an artist who's offering inspiration uh, or who's inspired and offering an image to inspire others. So mm -hmm. from my point of view, I think I would have to agree with what the way the Pope's talk about this as you know an icon of a man crucified uh scourged who inspires us to draw ourselves closer to jesus christ yes i like that That's all we've got time for this week, but come back next time for part two of this discussion.